Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, is now the right time for Steven Gerrard to leave Rangers? What impact can Eddie Howe have at Newcastle? Scotland sweat on their trip to Moldova. And we ask, why are so many England stars out of form? There's also some bonus content. You'll be hearing from Manchester City and England defender John Stones. This is The Game. Hello and welcome back to The Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wozencroft. Loads for us to get through today. Jonathan Northcroft, Gregor Robertson and Thomas Roddy are your crew for the next hour or so. We begin by talking Aston Villa and the huge link of Steven Gerrard, the Rangers boss, could possibly be coming to Villa Park. Uh, He's spent three and a half years at Ibrox, the 41-year-old, the former Liverpool and England captain, of course. Last year, he won the Scottish Premiership at a canter. He also won the SFWA, PFA and SPFL Manager of the Year. He's incredibly highly rated. But let's start by looking at this from the Scottish angle rather than the English angle. Would it be too soon for Steven Gerrard to leave the project he started at Rangers? They've been incredibly successful. They had a great run in the Europa League last year. Would now be the right time, Jonathan? Well, I mean, from that Scottish point of view or from an old firm point of view, old firm fans will never accept anyone leaving their club for any reason because for them, you know, for the Rangers, it's Rangers, it's Celtic, it's Celtic, but it's a, they, they, they are the biggest clubs in the world in, 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 to people in Glasgow. So as with Brendan Rodgers leaving for Leicester, which went down uh, incredibly badly with, with, with Celtic fans, this would appall a lot of Rangers fans. I guess the difference is, and Michael Grant's written a, a, a fantastic read this morning in, in the Times, uh, as he said, you know, Brendan did rather lay it on with a trowel with Celtic um, and uh, talk about that job in rather different terms to the way Stevens always talked about the Rangers job. And he's, you know, made it clear that it's part of his career, but not, you know, his, his birthright or whatever Brendan sort of framed the Celtic job as. So I wouldn't quite have the same emotional um, baggage attached to, to leaving, but it would still be seen by Rangers fans as, a betrayal of sorts. Some would will see it like that. They would think that um, that Rangers is a bigger club than Aston Villa, um, which you know you can you can make historic arguments to say it, it may well be. But we live in a different world now, where the Premier League is so much bigger than everything else. But you know this is a modern era, um, and just looking at it in football terms, you know they they they've re-established themselves at the top in Scotland having had to suffer quite a long period of Celtic dominating and Rangers fans have been looking forward to their own good few years at the top and, and would feel him he might be leaving too soon. And, you know, he's built a team that's that's still got some some way to go. So that's from the Rangers point of view, but clearly from the Steven Gerrard point of view, this is about career progression and this is about taking opportunities when they when they come with a sort of bigger picture in mind and that bigger picture I think whatever he says is, is arriving back at Anfield one day. Why leave Rangers now, Gregor? They, they did announce big losses, £23.5 million recently. But in football terms, um, he, he looks good for a possible back-to-back title there and a possible place in the Champions League automatically next season. So, so why now? I think probably just... Michael Grant again is basically saying how it is. You you look at you look at it's about op- timing and opportunity basically. And he he went through in his piece today brilliantly, basically going through the whole Premier League and saying it's not going to be Chelsea, City, United, Newcastle, or Tottenham who've just 
change the managers. It won't be Everton for obvious reasons. You know, when we're looking at whose who's next opportunity is going to be with in the Premier League. And then there's again a group of teams that are you know, each season stay in survival in the Premier League as their goal. And probably there's not much progression past that. You probably count Norwich, Burnley, Watford, Palace, Wolves. Brentford, Brighton, Southampton. So after that, there's like a few. Arsenal, Leeds, Leicester, West Ham and Villa. There's probably only a few clubs in Villa are the one that's here right now. And the others look pretty secure in their in, uh, in who their managers are. So it is, it is about, it's, it's only going to come down to Gerrard. The time, he, he could stay and, and make himself. It is different to Brendan Rodgers' departure because not just the way he laid it on, but Brendan Rodgers was... I think 14 games or something away from making history really and Gerard has already done the thing that he he was really appointed to do which was stop Celtic getting 10 in a row he'll always be remembered very very fondly for that yes there would be vitriol and sort of anger and the same nonsense that's dredged up every year about people saying trying to com- compete between you know <laughs> trying to compare clubs in England and Scotland and this size and you know whether he's got any ambition, if you know, if he wants to prove himself, he's got to leave Rangers. He could stay at Rangers, and and as you say, get into Europe. He's done brilliantly in Europe so far. With Rangers. He's done brilliantly by winning the by winning the, the Premiership. He he could stay and and cement himself there. And there'll still be another opportunity down the line. Rangers' revenue and, and everything is growing. The wage bill's growing to like forty plus million now. I don't think it's going to go any higher. They're still competing with Celtic, who've got. A little bit more in that in that regard, in terms of their funds, you might look at it and think, "I've done the thing I really need to do when I came here, and this is a golden opportunity." Because, as we say, Villa have the funds, have the backing, have the stature; they could make that break into competing for Europe. There's only a small group of teams that really you could say would be a good move for Gerard, and this is one of them. Is he experienced enough, though, Tom? Should he have stayed in Scotland and got more more games under his belt? Perhaps, but it seems like a it seems like a good time to to potentially go because he's on he's on the up isn't he um i mean we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna talk about eddie howe and the perception of him and his his time at bournemouth where a lot of people consider him consider him in quite a, a poor way because of the way it ended but overall it's a success and i always think it's really helpful to look at it's not always the best sort of litmus test but it's always helpful to look at where a manager took over a team, what they inherited and where they, they left it. And I mean, you sort of had a pretty much a decade of, of crisis at Rangers with, you know, l- losing to the likes of Anon Athletic at Ibrox and, and things like that. But but then to, to end the Celtic dominance, that was, that was the key. I think the one thing I would say, I agree with Gregor on the, um, the potential at Villa but there's also what's success at Villa. I think now we can see they they're really desperate to progress, and I think staying in the Premier League. I don't know whether I see that necessarily as a success for Gerard. There, um, their standards quite clearly right now are are becoming a European club, and I think it will be a huge test. The one thing I mean, he's got Michael Beale alongside him who uh, has clearly and you'd expect him to to go with him uh, he's clearly been key to the success that, that Gerard's had up up at Rangers but the one thing that inexperienced managers tend to struggle with when they come to the Premier League is the speed at which games change um and in-game tweaking and and dealing with problems 
we saw that as, as recently as uh, Leicester and Arsenal, where you know they, there's a, there's a, there's a problem in the way in which Leicester are pressing Arsenal, and by the time they've sorted it out, they're two 0 down. The game's gone. That's the way the Premier League works. So I, I think that would be one of the things that potentially could come unstuck. This big moment in his career, we saw it with. Lampard and, and, and Chelsea. It's a big moment in his career to show how good he is. But I wonder whether it's the right choice for Aston Villa, who are, who are a great prospect. They could have had a, a host of great managers. If it is to be Steven Gerrard, are they making a bit of a mistake, Jonathan? Well, it's a gamble. You know, like, like Villa are at that level where they're going to have to take a gamble of, of some sort because, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's where they are as a club. Is they're not going to get that very, very top manager, proven manager. So they're going to try and get one on the way up. Um, but you mentioned Bayern, Hugh, the, the kind of, um, you know, the, the, the sort of time they might give him and, and I, I, I guess the sort of relationship between a manager and the club. And what's important, I think, is, is a Christian Perslow Gerard relationship that goes back to to you know Perslow's time at Anfield as chief executive, and I think that is a an important um, element of all of this. You know, it looks like Gerard is taking the old sort of Fergie advice, which is which is what Jock Steen said to Alex Ferguson, which is don't you don't choose your club, you choose your chairman, as it were. You choose your owners when you when you're thinking about taking jobs, and. The, the fact that he'd be going to, to work for someone who he's already got a relationship with and might give him extra time is important. And on the flip side of that, it's maybe slightly, Villa might consider it slightly less of a risk because, you know, the CEO knows Gerard up and close and, and, know, and, and Michael Beale and, and Gerard's Gary McAllister were also part of Liverpool at the time, knows what, a bit more what they're about intimately and, and, and how to support them. So that, 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 that sort of, that's the advantage there. But cl- you know, clearly everyone's looking for the next big manager and there's a, there's a natural tendency to look at the, the great former player and you know, dream and think he could be the one. And, and what Stevens proved so far in Rangers is that he is a, you know, he, he's, he's got the ability to win. Maybe the style of football hasn't been wonderful and lovely in the way that Frank Lampard's was, but it's not been bad. But he certainly proved that he can handle a big, big pressure, which Rangers is, and he can win. And look, those are pretty important ingredients if you're looking for who might be uh, able to handle that Villa job. And part of that Villa job is also, let's be honest, they've got a new team. There's a lot of personalities there to try and handle in, in that squad, trying to put it together. And Steven Gerrard can definitely lead people. We know that. So there's 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 plenty to commend it, but we're not going to know and, and, until he and, until he does it, really, are we? That's just the nature of the beast. Rangers didn't know. A lot of people were saying this is a risk. It was a massive risk for Rangers. It's hard to actually communicate to you if you're you know, maybe some English listeners here how much pressure was on Gerrard and Rangers to stop Celtic getting nine in a row. They've both won nine, nine league titles in a row before to surpass that. When you, when that's your real competition in the country, you know, it's not who, you, who you're beating to the title. It's how I many you're getting in a row. It's like these, making these moments of history. You know, Brendan Rodgers with the treble, treble, things like that. These are the things that you are like your bragging rights. So Rangers went for a completely untried rookie manager who'd been working in academy football at Liverpool and it paid off. And I think he's done enough in this time at Rangers. And I, I keep saying, I keep using the word presence. I think still think that's important with someone, you know, he, he, players have had a great, a great 
a great playing career. That doesn't mean doesn't mean much, but I think he's he's shown that his stature actually has an influence on the players. They really work hard and run for him. Like Johnny's, Johnny's right, it's not always like free flowing, beautiful football, but they work hell, a hell of a hard for him and like press and really intense. I don't think I don't see this as a as a, any bigger a risk than than appointing someone who's maybe it's their first job in the Premier League. He also knows the Premier League and his staff uh, have worked at clubs in the Premier League. Gary McAllister, I think, had a spell at Villa under Gerard Hooley as well. I think there's a lot of things, you know, it takes a lot of boxes, I think. Rangers fans won't, won't thank me for saying this, but, you know, I think it's true. What success then for Steven Gerrard if he were to, to come in at Aston Villa, the club, as we say, upwardly mobile, but w- what do they really want? And I think that's a question that comes off the back of Dean Smith's sacking as well. Where, where should Villa really be? Because clearly they have lofty ambition. I think West Ham have raised the bar for the likes of Aston Villa, actually. Why shouldn't Aston Villa dream of doing what West Ham are doing? You know, Leicester's the other obvious example, but maybe Leicester was was written off as a kind of unique situation. West Ham have come along and proved that it doesn't have to be, I mean, not that they're going to win the league, but they're showing that with the right manager and the right decisions, a club at that in that tier can actually start to to compete towards the top end of the table, push for Europa League, certainly in Champions League. So what would be successful Villa becoming West Ham, I would say. Yeah, they've made no bones about it either. That's their that's their aim. They want to be playing Europe and they've got the back end to to get to that stage. So or certainly to compete for it. But that's his goal this season, yeah, if he was to go keeping them up. But beyond that, it's serious progression. That's what I meant by it being a, 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 it is a bit of a difficult job because that's the aim. That's where you need that's to get to. That's you yeah, know, of doesn't course, want the team. It's going to be. It's going to be fine. Manager want. That's of course, what manager will want, isn't it? But, but there's what only I'm a saying few, is that you. There's you only know, a few Dean clubs Smith that loses, have that potential. Dean Smith loses exactly. So you slip just below that. Are you considered a success if you don't meet it? Are you considered a success then? What do you really think, though? You know, in terms of where Aston Villa can be and what's a success for Steven Gerrard, can he can he do it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I think the difficulty is that for Villa before before the managerial change was what was said in the summer when Grealish went. Um, the public statement from Christian Perslow was: "We've signed three players who meet uh, who who provide." all the attributes Grealish had for them. So the message was, this isn't going to set us back. We're only going to progress. And it hasn't. They've, they haven't settled in immediately. And five defeats in a row saw the, saw the change happen. And I think the problem was it, was it was a case of PR and managing the situation of letting your best player go. But you're always going to have a huge transition at that at that moment, um, and maybe it needs a fresh. Maybe it needed the fresh coaching team, a fresh face in the dugout to to do that to complete that. So what you're saying then, Tom, is that that they've done exactly the same thing with their coaching as well. They've got Michael Beale, Gary McAllister, and Stephen Gerrard to get one great coach. Is that what you're saying? I can see it. You know, it's very, very good re- recruitment on Aston Villa's part. Uh, Johnny, go ahead. That's a good point. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, talking about pressure and say, uh, the bar's never, ever been higher and you only need to look at the managers around the Premier League. Uh, outside of the big six, there are four managers who've managed big six clubs. And then there's Patrick Vieira and then, you know, we might have Steven Gerrard. I mean, just all the way down the league, we've never had sort of figures of bigger profile 
as 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 managers, and and that that's just reflective of how much ambition there is now outside of the big six clubs, and that's where Villa Villa are, are part of that conversation now. There's never been more kind of money from those clubs and desire to to try and um, compete and challenge at at, at, at the top. It, it just makes it an even more crowded an exciting field, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if he waited a couple of weeks, he could have been the Man United boss. You know, silly silly mistake on Steven Gerrard's <laughs> part, really. Um, look, he could be the new boss at Aston Villa by the time you're listening to this. And it would be, I think, huge, huge for the Premier League. But I think still, the voice of reason on this, it's a very difficult job for someone who has done a good job in Scotland, but it's a different kettle of fish. So, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see if there's a success at Villa Park under Steven Gerrard, but it will be very, very intriguing. Look, it's all about managers over the past couple of weeks as well. Let's talk about Newcastle United. This has been confirmed. Eddie Howe is their new boss. He's taken training since we last spoke as well. The former Bournemouth manager signing a two and a half year deal at St. James's Park to replace Steve Bruce. Newcastle currently 19th winless after 11 Premier League games. Before we talk about how Eddie Howe is perceived and how he's been spoken about in the past few days, let's just talk about whether he is the right man for this relegation battle at Newcastle United. Tom, he's highly regarded, but of course he took Bournemouth down in the end. Is this a good appointment for Newcastle? Yeah, I do think it is. Um, I think he fits He fits the club he fits when you look at what he did at Bournemouth and the, the huge progress they had and what he built, which is the key thing over a, over a long period. You know, ma- management now is tends to be the sort of 18 months to three years, but that what he built at Bournemouth is, is what Newcastle are looking to do. They've, they've made no bones about that. We know their ambitions. The only thing I, I would say, it's, it's interesting looking at his, Premier League record or his record um, at Bournemouth where whatever happened uh, at Bournemouth, they conceded, I think, at least 60 goals a season. And I, I, like, I like the ethos he has of we attack to defend. That was how Bournemouth worked. That was their mentality. And more often than not, it, it, it worked. Um, I mean, they, f- they finished ninth, I think, in 2017. The only thing is that Newcastle defence is really, really poor. And he's got to, he hasn't got, you know, you're, you're jumping into a job midway through a season. He's not got a lot of time to kind of get it right or, or that time on the training pitch, there isn't, you, you haven't got a pre-season to, to start working on that. And that's one of the things we saw with, with the Grand Jones, the interim period was they were just working on defensive, you know, defensively. It was essentially, it was five at the, <laughs> five at the back. And then Alan Sam Maximan and Callum Wilson were, were the attack. So I think we'll see a real change in Newcastle and it needs to be, but it's how quickly that can happen. We'll have to hope he's learned something. Uh, if you look at his time in the Premier League, yeah, attack has to be the form of defence. Their first season, they finished 16th, but they had the 19th best defence, 9th, 16th best defence, 12th, 17th best defence, 14th, 18th best, and when they were relegated, 18th as well. So they've always been the bottom five defences for those five years that they were in the Premier League, Bournemouth. And I don't know if that necessarily translates, as you were saying, Tom, to this current Newcastle United squad. The difficulty is to play an attacking brand of football, 
that does take time on the training field. And you also need to gel and have those relationships to become fluent going forward. He's also going to have a raft of new players, we imagine, in January as well with with money to spend. So can he really bring that all together, do you think, Gregor? Is he the man to do that? I think it's a good appointment. I mean, whether he's going to keep them up or not, only time will tell, because you're right, it's kind of... Well, if he takes them down, that's not a good appointment, is it? It's, it's a bad appointment. You can't say it's a good appointment either way. If he gets relegated, it's not worked. I think you can. I think when I mean, you look at the... Uh, who who's available you look at how much of a mess the club is and who would actually want to take it I think Eddie Howe either way is a good appointment young progressive manager I think a, there's been a lot of glossing over of the achievement of keeping Bournemouth in the Premier League for five years for getting to the Premier League in the first place with a club that he inherited in League 2 with a blooming massive point deduction and whatnot. Uh, and you know facing administration facing going out of business yes he had 14 months or 15 months in Burnley, but he took them from there all the way up to, to the Premier League. Remarkable story. And I spoke, I spoke to Simon Francis yesterday, who, who was there for a lot of that, uh, for a column in the Times today. And we kind of discussed the, the defensive part of it. And he's saying, look, we, we worked on defending two or three mornings a week. We'd go out early before anyone else, the back four. And whoever we were playing against, we would work on defending to, you know, to, to match up again. I can see you're about to say that worked well. <laughs> But then he said after that, but we knew we were a better team when we played on the front foot. Yes, we we could see the goals. Yes, we lost games. But again, you you know, you, you kind of glossed over. They finished ninth in the Premier League one year, Bournemouth. Like it doesn't matter how many goals you conceded when you're scoring a lot more. That's the main thing. <laughs> so he, basically, his point was we were a better team going forward. And I think that last season, the, their biggest mistake when they were relegated was changing that. They went, they became far more defensive. And they kind of lost a part of what Bournemouth were, what made them a good team to watch and a, and a successful team. So, yes, the issue is it, this doesn't happen overnight. I mean, Francis was saying his impact was immediate on us, but it's a very different job. I mean, Bournemouth in League One, he said, I think they went 13, 14 games unbeaten. It, it, that's not going to happen in Newcastle. And the, the thing, you know, the, the thing that struck me that he, he said was when I went on the pitch, I didn't want to let him down. That's the kind of culture he created. Like you could see how much work he was putting into improving you and how how good he was as a coach, how good he was on the grass, that the it almost became a feeling of you want to win for him as much as for yourself and for your teammates and for the club. And yes, again, the Bournemouth story and the journey was pretty unique and he made something happen for Francis and a lot of these guys that they couldn't have dreamt of. And they walk into a club, you know, struggling Premier League outfit, different sort of personalities, egos careers to this point it's whether he it's whether he can engage them to the same in the same way and say look i can take you on a journey here if you want to be part of it you need to you need to buy into what i'm doing but there's no doubt he's a he's an outstanding coach i've seen him actually i've seen him i, I went down and watched a, a day once and it was like it was pretty mind-blowing the the detail and the intensity of his of his sessions he used to, I, I remember what sort of stuff i remember going out and all these coaching staff laid out it was obviously meticulously planned they laid out each, you know, this kind of tactical periodization where there was like 15 minutes, no more, no less on every station. It was all laid out. They were, they spent about an hour doing it. Then he walked out and sort of surveyed it all. And he would move a cone, maybe like an inch and he'd go around. And then they would kind of go through it. This coaching staff, him and big Steve Fletcher and Tyndall and stuff were doing it kind of, you know, just to work through everything. They did about an hour of work before the players were out. And when they came, everything was, as I say, was by the, 
by the, the whistle. You move from one station to the next, and it was so intense. And they would do these passengers that were like they would, you know, I, I've done passengers in my career, but not never like this. They were so complex. And Simon was saying they just did that repetition, 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 and it came out in patterns of playing on a Saturday and almost subconsciously. You know, again, people can scorn and say, you know, we didn't see that all the time with Bournemouth, but you need to step back for a minute and remember it was Bournemouth. Bournemouth in the Premier League, get into the Premier League and staying in the Premier League. His impact was profound on that football club. I hope he can have the same impact on Newcastle because Newcastle fans are have been crying out for a bit of this sort of attacking, exciting football. And he could provide it if he's you know, if he can survive this season and build, he could provide it for them. I think you're right, Gregor. But it, and it's funny as well because that kind of sums up his time at Bournemouth, doesn't it? This he had his fingers over absolutely everything. The messaging in the stadium, anytime anyone was doing any interviews, he he, he was your sort of traditional manager, had his fingers over absolutely everything. Whereas at Newcastle, it won't be completely like that. I mean, you've got a director of football coming in. I thought it was really interesting that Graham Jones, it was, Graham Jones was staying Whatever happened, Graham Jones was staying on at Newcastle. I don't know what Eddie Howe thinks of that, but decisions are made. He's not in charge of absolutely everything there. And I think he really fits the club. You know, it's the kind of football, as you said, Gregor, it's the kind of football and style of play that Newcastle fans would just love. Whenever you hear them talk, it's, you know, we don't mind if, don't mind if we lose, but so long as we try and we're entertained, that's, that's one of the most important parts and, and how, will do that or from what's happened in the past it will do that but just it's going to be a totally different experience to being at Bournemouth and just one other thing was on the defending it was really interesting to see what Eddie Howe's done in the 18 months he's been out I mean the fact he spent some time with uh, Atletico Madrid and Diego Simeone might tell you that he's looking into improving that side of things but also you've got a club that's that's managed to to break into into the elite in a in a league that you know they financially they had no right to the challenge and it's really fascinating hearing about the training methods um, and you're right Tom about how he dominated that club as a as a personality right down to the the messages on the wall and 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 the way the vitality was was set out they refurbished the the the, the players quarters you know he was almost choosing the wallpaper and stuff but. I think the challenge is, can he dominate a bigger club in the same way? Can he impose that personality on a, on a much bigger environment? I'm not saying he can't, but that's that's the difference. You know, can he become like Simeone, who dominates that that football club? You, you have to be, you have to amplify your character. You have to, um, I suppose, manage so much more politics to do all of that. And that that will be that's the side of football management that isn't always seen it's 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 not it goes way beyond football management goes so far beyond the coaching it's it's how you manage an environment that to me is the only question mark about eddie howe because he's 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 an out, absolutely outstanding i echo what guys have been saying that you know you can nitpick with bournemouth but at the end of the day he you know he was a fairy godmother at that club and and, and gave it a, a, a an existence it couldn't have dreamt of before he became its manager and did it playing some fantastic football it might not have been defensively tight but it was brilliantly detailed um 
football that extracted the maximum out of the player. So I don't, the coaching's not the issue. It's it's can he as a character fill that bigger environment, that bigger space? Can he handle the the soap opera? Um, can he handle the the nonsense that's going to go along with Newcastle with the, the the money they've got? That'll be kind of a challenge for him as a as a person because what one thing I've you know interviewed him a few times and I have observed is what a kind of um, he, he is a he is a sort of you you always seem to creature of Bournemouth you know as a family there walking the dog on the beach loved the environment loved the loved loved the the, the sort of community he was part of and he's got to go and transport all of that. I'm not saying he can't, but these are the things I'm looking at. And the only other thing I think that was a, that has been a question mark would be his recruitment. But if he if they are getting a director of football, and if that director of football can work well with them, I think that might, that will actually help Eddie Howe. That he won't have to worry quite so much about being, you know, because at Bournemouth he had to try and do all that himself as well. And I don't think he needs that. I think he just needs a good director of football who can help him get players he wants, but take some of that. That, that heat off and someone to deal with the agents and so on. But the biggest thing for me is can, can, he, can he as a character go in and be to Newcastle what he was at Bournemouth? And it's a, that's a different thing. The thing I'll quickly look on that, I look at Newcastle just now and I think there's a void. You know, they're going to appoint a director of football. There's still so much that's unknown about how Newcastle are going to evolve and develop and you know they're going to have to put a structure in place. So he is the figure now. And I, I almost think that might be a help. You know, if he was, if they came in and there was loads of appointments and you say, this is our new team, this is our new director. I know Michael Eminello's somebody who's been mentioned now. He's there first and he is the figure that everyone's looking to. And I think that in these early days, I think that actually might be, that might suit him. I'm not sure because it might feel today like he's just taken charge of a football club, but within the next few months, he will understand that he, he's got a, basically handbrake turn a tanker you know it's just not gonna it's not gonna happen that 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 easily but also he's managing a geopolitical you know project here you know and and what happens when the owners say this incredible superstar is available we're getting him whether you like it or not you know and you just got to fit him in the team and suddenly you're coaching loads of players that you don't want um and managing the expectations of fans who suddenly start screaming well we've got x and y player we need to be in the champions league next season you know, and suddenly the job that he thinks he's taken, which is to keep Newcastle in the Premier League, changes very rapidly. And for me also, what we don't know is, it, this maybe goes back to what Jonathan was saying, he was in the family at Bournemouth and it's not necessarily the case at Newcastle. He's now a long-term interim manager until there's a top draw manager available and until there's a top draw squad at Newcastle United. So how does that work with his character and mentality to know, as we were reflecting all the newspapers, when it maybe doesn't go well for five or six games, is he the man? Should they be going for Pochettino? You know, et cetera, et cetera. How will he and the players deal with all of that? So it is it is a very different job. I'm, I can't say what I think will happen or even predict it, but it is going to be really interesting to see exactly how it goes. And I'm not sure, I've got to say, I'm not sure that Eddie Howe is the right person for that simply because... I think if you'd had someone that had been at PSG or been at Manchester City and had worked in that environment, which might be, you know, it might be like a soap opera at times, then maybe you'd be a little bit more comfortable with someone saying, look, I've been through this before. You know, there was there was S hitting the fan left, right and centre, but we just got on with it. He hasn't really had that. Bournemouth, he was in charge. He was trusted. He was given the keys, you know, to the kingdom and they just followed him. 
and it might be very different at Newcastle. Might not, might be exactly the same, but I, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, Jonathan? No, I mean, it, it, it's, Newcastle feels like it might almost be like an Ancelotti job, if you know what I mean. Just a, just one of those characters that can just take it all um, and, and shrug it off. But, you know, I, I guess as Gregor said, the, 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 the one thing got to bear in mind is there's a massive void and, and he, he, can, he can go and fill it by succeeding, if he if he if he get if he gets the team playing well, if he gets into the players, he can influence the development of that club because they they they, they kind of they need someone to lead them really. They you know they, they they need someone to point them in the right direction. So the time is now. You know he isn't. I suppose he isn't coming in and succeeding someone. Um, it's a bit of a blank canvas. Um, it's it's just, it's fascinating. And, and we were talking about Steven Gerrard and his development. This is the next necessary thing for Eddie Howe to do. Because I, I have believed for a long time he's got the potential to be a coach of one of the biggest clubs as a coach. And it's this side of things. It's, 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 it's handling the bigger stage. He's got to try it and we'll see if he can do it. And this is the next, this is the next stage for one of you know, England's best young coaches. So it's probably good for the English game to see if he can do it. I think the one thing to say is that he, he'll know all this. I think he's fiercely intelligent as well. You know, he will, he's analysed everything he's done while he's been off. And I think you will know that he has to, you'll know the kind of projection he has to make to be a manager of a club of the stature of Newcastle United. So it'd be interesting to see how he approaches it as well. And he's got, he's got a bit of steel about him. He gave me the most awkward, that, on that day down there, he gave me the most awkward moment of my small <laughs> career in journalism. It was my first season, first season in doing this job. I wasn't expecting to get a, to get a, a, a chat with him. I was down to see Simon Francis, but then it opened up. And I got to see training and I got to see everything and like, and they're in the training ground the way they've got like pictures of the, uh, like the winning team in every single drill. And they put them up on the TVs in the canteen. So like you're, you're eating your dinner, or your lunch afterwards, and you've got the women, the cheesy grins of the winning team. So everything was so competitive. There was a trainer of the month. There was this massive wheel of fortune style punishment thing. So you spun that every Friday and there was a court system and they was like, you know, you had to do a dance or you had to like give an inspirational quote on a Friday. Loads of thought and all this. Anyway, I got a couple of minutes with Eddie Howe and I was trying to, I, I couldn't, I was very inexperienced. I couldn't get a question out. It was all these leading, meandering questions that weren't actually questioned of a question mark at the end. And he just wouldn't play ball. He just stood there looking at me with these steely blue eyes, like, waiting for me to actually ask him a question while I was like starting and stuff. It was the most awkward moment of my <laughs> of my short career. But it kind of made me realise, I thought, I need to prepare for eventual eventualities here when I'm going forward. So he also taught me a lesson. You think asking an actual question is also preparing for all eventualities, mate? Just start it <laughs> with who, what, where, or why, or when. You'll yeah, be fine, all right? Yeah. You'll be fine. Anyway, uh, Tom Roddy, last word on this. Will Eddie Howe this season, let's just limit it to this season, keeping Newcastle in the Premier League, do you think he will? Yes. Yeah. I think. I think there's probably enough. Worse. <laughs> don't teams. sound convinced. Me. Yeah. <laughs> don't sound convinced. <laughs> but you know, it's funny as well because um, this probably, you know, this shouldn't be in their minds. But I also wonder whether whether he's also the guy. If the worst did were to happen and they did go down, is he the guy to be there anyway? Is that the part of the point? If that does, if that avenue does have to be taken, well, you, you'd keep him, wouldn't you? If you went, if you went down, you'd keep him, unless they lose every game from here on out or something. You, you'd, yeah. you'd keep him. But I think you're giving too much credit to the people who employed him. Yeah, <laughs> thinking that far ahead, they, you know, they made a boob of all of this. Well, I think he's a good appointment. 
I think personally he might just just keep them up, but uh, I wouldn't give them that much credit about thinking too far into the future. We shall see exactly how Eddie Howe gets on at St. James's Park. It's going to be really interesting to watch. Luckily for him, he does start down on the south coast against Brighton in his opening game when the Premier League returns. But he can always take the dog for a walk on Long Sands Beach, you know, up, up north if he fancies it as well. Here it's beautiful this time of year. You're listening to The Game podcast. Up next, of course, it's the international break. So we're going to be looking at big games for both England and Scotland. But if you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you rate us, leave us a review and make sure you subscribe as well. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, as I'm sure you're aware, it is the international break at the moment, hence sacking season. But we actually have to refer to some of these games that are going to happen in the next few days as well. And I'm going to start with Scotland because they've got a huge game away at Moldova. They know that a win would guarantee them a playoff spot ahead of the World Cup in Qatar. And listen, Scotland wouldn't want it any... Who wants to finish top of the group when you can have a playoff? I mean, come on. This is exactly what Scotland and the country needs. Once again, a uniting moment. The drama. That is what Steve Clark and his men would have played for. Um, but listen, it is, it is a big game in all seriousness. It is a big game. You'd want to feel like Scotland are overwhelming favourites but it's never that easy, is it, Jonathan? No, it's never that easy with Scotland. And this game gives me the, the, the willies a little bit, to use a Scottish phrase. It's, it's, um, it's exactly the kind of game that Scotland have tripped up in historically, recent history. I remember us losing, Greg, I might remember what qualifying campaign it was, to Georgia, which proved the difference in the end. I think it was maybe for the last World Cup. And, and it's those sort of away trips against a kind of middling, lower-ranked team but, you, you know, they're going to make it a little bit difficult. And you need to score goals and we just don't score enough goals to ever be confident in any of these situations. So it's another... And then, and then you sort of realise that we've won five games in a row and that never happens. So we're going to win a sixth. Lyndon Dykes, the great Lyndon Dykes, isn't available. Gregor, how worried are you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dykes is the, is the, is the issue. He's, he scored in the last four games. And if, like, you know, if you look at them... 1-0 against the Pharaohs, Dykes. 1-0 against Austria, Dykes. 1-0 against Moldova, Dykes. <laughs> the 3-2 against Israel was a sort of an anomaly. Um, so, yeah, like I have all those reservations because I'm Scottish and I've watched them for too long. And uh, I, I have to believe as well that, as Johnny says, we seem to now put our, manage to put the nation through the, all, the, all the pain but come out on the other side in the end and I just have to have the, the faith that that we'll do that one last time because obviously next up Denmark so it really is this one <laughs> it's got to be it's got to be this one um, and uh, I, I don't have anything else to say except I'm hoping and praying <laughs> Tierney back yeah. Tierney, Tierney back is a massive thing because he's huge for us he's been huge he's missed last few weeks with Arsenal with an ankle injury but he's back and if he's fit he'll play and I think uh, I saw an interview with John Carver the assistant and he said he was 
he's he's been fit and healthy and trained. So that is huge. Uh, Grant Hanley's been missing, and I know like people, anyone sniggering at the back there, uh, he's been rubbish for for Norwich, but he's been outstanding for Scotland recently. Uh, so that is a blow. Um, and we've called up Hearts John Souter instead. So yeah, <laughs> but Tierney's Tierney being back's big. Uh, and we've also called called up Jacob Brown from from Stoke. Uh, who's quite interesting, really quick, got a lot of potential, I think, but he's another one who's kind of new face to the to international football. I think Jay Adams will lead the line, and Jay Adams has also been really good since he's since he's come into the fold. So I have hope. I think we've got to mention Ryan Fraser. I mean, that's a weird one, is it not? You know, dropping out of the squad and then turning up training for for Newcastle. I mean, that's that that, that that's hardly the the sort of morale boost or whatever that you. You need as a squad when when you're not exactly key men, but you can't really be bothered. It would seem playing in this match, going back to his club, I just strikes such an odd note for me. No inside rumours as to why that might be. Eddie Howe needs him on the training ground in the that next two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of an odd one. He's just kind of, you know, I, I've heard that he's he's been in talking terms with Eddie Howe after the sort of acrimonious uh, manner of his departure for quite a while now. So I don't think there's any kind of bridges need to be built there, but he's certainly uh, knocked one down with Steve Clark, it seems. Well, look, look, I think Scotland should be fine. Those are obviously famous last words, so we will see exactly <laughs> how they get on against Moldova. As you can hear by my accent, though, I'm more of an England fan as opposed to those two, as probably is Tom Roddy. Um, England are almost there in terms of automatic qualification. They face Albania on Friday before what you would expect to be as a pretty comfortable win against San Marino in their final game. So they just have to really avoid defeat in this game to be all but mathematically there. Um, However, England didn't play that great last time against Hungary. It was a really poor performance by their standards, ended up in a draw at Wembley Stadium. And loads of the England squad, Tom, aren't having a great time. Um, Jaden Sancho, Raheem Sterling, uh, Luke Shaw, Harry Maguire, Kieran Trippier maybe, Harry Kane definitely, um, John Stones, who we're going to hear from in a moment as well. Why do you think the England players are maybe having a bit of a hangover after reaching the final of Euro 2020? It's largely the the emotional side of, of things in, in that tournament. But, um, I mean, there was certainly a trend of names that you began with, Hugh, and they all seemed to play at Old Trafford at the, at the beginning of those, those names. Um, and also we can't, we can't completely go in that direction because, I mean, Declan Rice, Declan Rice was a huge part of, of that, um, of that England team. And he has been brilliant this season in a brilliant team who are, entirely motivated equally I think Bukaya Saka's done well this year but there is certainly a, a trend where the, the players from that team have struggled and I, I think it's it's probably physical fatigue of, of the two seasons but also um, the mental fatigue and the, the, the pressure that built up over the summer um, I think what we'll we'll see in, in this game after the Hungry one is probably I mean there was that that sort of trial of the, the the one holding midfielder and the two sort of number eights. I think we'll probably see a return of the the sort of double <coughs> double six, um, which worked so well with Declan Rice and with Calvin Phillips. And it was interesting that that um Southgate spoke during the last international break about the importance of, of Calvin Phillips's injury. Um, but I actually see, you know, this should be a, a, a pretty straightforward week um, 
for ceiling qualification. But I see it as quite a big one for Phil Foden, actually, because, um, you know, he, 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 in that last game, in the hungry one, it was him and Mason Mount as the two um, number eights playing behind the attack. Um, and I don't really, at the moment, right now, I don't see there being space for both of them in Southgate's team. And, of course, Mount is going to miss the first one at the very least with his wisdom tooth being removed. Um, and I think Mount has been a favourite of Southgate's ever since they worked together in the under-21s. And I think he it, Southgate has always preferred players who can, um, e- even in attack, who do the defensive side of things. And Mount offers that more than Foden does. So I, I see it as being a really big week for, for Phil Foden, actually. You think he will start in Mason Mount's place? The other player I thought might have is, is Jack Grealish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good point. And it was a bit bizarre that, that Grealish came off um, came off in the game against Hungary because he was playing well. Um and also, I think we need to. We're talking a lot about uh, England players who are out of form, but we're also, you know, the fact Emil Smith Rowe has been called up, I actually saw as a little bit of a message and a little bit of a return to what Southgate has always said in that players will be picked. Um, based on form and, you know, Rashford drops out. Jaden Sancho isn't the one who comes in because of the form he's in at the moment, because he's in a difficult moment for for Man United. It's Emil Smith-Rowe who, who deserves to be in that team above Jaden Sancho at the moment. I think there's a bit of a hangover for the England players, Johnny. Oh, undoubtedly. I don't think they're alone. I think, you know, for example, Thomas Suchet, you can see he's a bit tired. Um, maybe Kasper Schmeichel's been a bit tired at, um, at Leicester. I think it's, it's difficult for everyone who's had a, had a big Euros. And it's, as Tom says, it's the emotional aspect. Um, I mean, it's big for Raheem Sterling. It's big for Harry Kane, these internationals, um, because they're left looking at England as almost a route back into uh, club form. In Raheem's case, the, the, the you know England's even more important than ever. He needs to get back in that that city team. Um, I think the midfield is fascinating, and I might have said it on the pod before. I, I thought there was a m- misanalysis of that. I probably made up a word there of the the Hungary game, where because it didn't work, everyone's going, "Oh, you can't play two number eights. I think it was just the personnel. It wasn't the system. He just picked the wrong two number eights as a combination. I don't think Mount and Foden. I don't. I, I mean, they're just not. Um, they're not the right. They're not the right pair. They're not. You know, they're, they're, they're maybe two sort of. Two, they're both very attacking number eights. Um, but you could have to do Gerard and Lampard. Well, yeah, probably. <laughs> I, 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 I think you just needed one of them and not both. But Jude Bellingham is back in, being one of the best players in Europe this season. He's a natural number eight, as it were, who can who can do a bit of both sides of the game. But Calvin Phillips and, and Declan Rice are both evolving as players at club level. And I think they're a, they can be a different duo than they were in the Euros going forward. You, know, you see, Declan Rice has got so much more to give than just sitting in front of a defence. And Calvin Phillips very much so as well. So 
actually, I, I, I'd, I'd be, I'd love to see Bellingham, Phillips, and Rice as a trio, and a trio that might be more like a Manchester City midfield three or a Liverpool midfield three. But actually, the players can all do a bit of everything. They might have different starting positions, position, played positionally differently on the field, but they can all do a bit of each part of the game, and that could work. And Foden's been so good in the front line for City um, on that left-hand side that I, th- I think he has to um, probably go back to there for England. Um, it, it's sort of club form almost demands um, he, he goes back and plays there. And that's why, as I say, it's really interesting what he's going to do with Kane and Sterling because it'd be quite harsh not to not to pick Bukayo Saka. Um, and Jack Grealish might merit a go. So there's a lot, of, as ever, there's a lot of interesting sort of questions Probably the the one that the question that we're not asking is are England going to win these games and qualify? Because I think we already know the answer. I think they will make it, Johnny. I promise. <laughs> I think <laughs> they, they will. will. <laughs> one other question of these answers, probably because it's been asked about a million times. But right back, Paul Joyce has written a really good piece in the Times today, and it's Trippy's been left out this time. You have that many good right backs, you can leave out a guy who won La Liga last season. Uh, and Trent Alexander Arnold is fit and back and on fire. There's a there's a comparison chart between all between Trent Alexander Arnold, Kyle Walker, and Reese James, who's been on fire. You know, he scored four goals already this season. The way he strikes a ball, it's like I went to England training yesterday. Best finisher bar none, Reese James. It was incredible to see everything bottom corner, top corner. I was. I actually remarked in the um, interviews afterwards. I think Reese James should be starting up front. He did the press conference, and it was just like he's so good on the ball. It's ridiculous. I think he could play anywhere. Like really, he could do. He played in central midfield when he went alone to Wigan before he broke into the and in the, the game against game. Andorra for England in, yeah. in the second half. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you could you could see him being a big bustling centre forward as well. You could see him being a winger the way he skips beyond people. He's 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 ridiculous. That goal again. That goal at the weekend is it? New, was it Newcastle? Newcastle. Yeah. Yeah. The one where like just hit, back to hit it sweet on the volley, just yeah. like so easily into the near post corner. So yeah, he's elevated his play. Trent. The the only thing that stood out in the kind of comparison was chances created. Trent Alexander. Trent Alexander Arnold has created thirty chances. Rhys James created fifteen. He's played fewer minutes. Kyle Walker's created three. So the question is, are you looking for, you know, utilising a right back as someone who's a creative force or is he still always going to kind of lean towards caution? You look at the way Trent Alexander-Arnold defended that situation against Kurt Zuma in the game last weekend. It points to why he doesn't have that position nailed down. I mean, you're a defender first and foremost, you know, and you, you have to defend. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things, you know, you can't pull out of challenges like that at that level. I mean, you'll get punished and it ends up costing your team three points and you need to trust that all of your defenders are going to put their head in where it hurts. And you just don't feel that with Trent as good a player as he is going forward. Oh, he's the best by far. Come on. It's obvious, but is that his job? It, it may be for Liverpool, but for England, well, it's just going to be. I just think it's going to be another very interesting part of England's team going forward because there's so much strength here. Kyle Walker is the dependable one, but the other two are unquestionably more productive. And if, but I think in you know if the team if they're in a team that is going to make the most of their abilities as well, that's the other thing. Kyle Walker, you know, rapier quick, he can bomb down the line, get to the touchline, pull back crosses. If you're playing. If, depending on the way England are going to play, the way they're going to set up, if they are going to have one or two in mid, as the kind of holding midfielders, the wingers are going to have to provide more more attacking uh, input. So 
in that case, it's got to be James or Trent. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a 3-4-3, to be perfectly honest, without, of course, Luke Shaw playing that well. Harry Maguire definitely out of form. You're going to put those two in as two of your back four, maybe not. Chilwell's playing great as a wing back. So is Reese James. Why not utilise them? Um, but also you haven't got Mason Mount. So why not just sit Calvin Phillips and, and Declan Rice in the middle of that and play a front three? And maybe actually the players that he has at his disposal lends itself to that. Also, of course, it's it would be seen as being more safe and you're just trying to get to that San Marino game without losing, you know. And so, you know, if you pick up the point and you beat San Marino, which you'd expect with any formation, then you're there. So it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all. Um but we'll see. We'll see. I think it is a big it's a big dilemma. I think there was a, a moment in time as well that they were in the mo- in the part of the training session that we saw, it was clear they had three defenders in yellow bibs defending a goal. Um the cent- and, and they were and they were very narrow down the middle of the, the penalty box width, basically. And you thought, is he going are they just practicing running through three at the back and they were cha- interchanging defenders? It looked like it. That's all I'm going to say. I, I can't give anything <laughs> more away, but it looked like <laughs> it. Uh, Gregor Robertson, Jonathan Northcroft, Thomas Roddy, thank you for being with me. We'll have more to discuss on Tuesday because we're going to save the next episode of the game podcast until after the end of the World Cup qualifiers. So we will be with you on Tuesday. There is more exclusive England content to come, though. Earlier this week at England camp, I got to speak to the Manchester City and England defender, of course, John Stones, who is just a really intriguing character. I started by asking him about getting back into the City team because the last time we spoke, he hadn't appeared as yet so far this season. Have a listen. John, the last time we spoke, you hadn't had a game for Manchester City so far this, in the season. You must be feeling a lot better now with, with your game time especially. Yeah, no, it was um, accumulation of things really. You know, I had a few injuries at the start of the season. The timings that I came back were uh, not good for training and games and getting up back up to up to speed in that respect so and the team were playing well and I had to be patient and um, respect what, what what the guys were doing and it was, they were doing so good and I, sometimes you, you can't change a winning team so you know I, I had to be patient and, and wait for my time and did that and, and, and had a good few games since the last camp that we met up and you know happy to be back here again. Lots of players involved with England had a difficult start to the season when you think of Sterling, your teammate at Manchester City, but Shaw, Maguire, Kane, Sancho. Do you, do you think there's been a bit of a hangover from Euro 2020? I wouldn't have thought so, no. Um, what do you think it is? Honestly, I, I, I don't know. But I, I know that football is ups and downs, never easy. A lot of situations, I don't want to speak for the, for the lads that are at different clubs, obviously, and don't know. Uh, what goes on there but I think what we did in, in the summer was was an incredible thing not you know, not been done before so the time we had off and to come straight back into it is also difficult you know after coming off an incredible tournament but finishing the way it did is difficult to take sometimes and, and you know I've not watched it back and, and I don't know what the other players have done or what they did in the spare time but I do know that they'll come back fighting and, and, and be back to the best I hope soon and I don't like it when players are getting bad press or not playing how I know they can play and, and I'm sure that frustrates them as well but yeah definitely I have all the faith in them to, to come back for, uh, strong. 
is it hard to find your way do you think after that experience for, for any player you know a long season domestically yeah. an international tournament that of course you reached the very final game of but also the emotional investment playing at home as well do you think part mm. of it is physical m emotional but also a mental recovery uh, yeah probably all of it you know it's um, we stepped into the unknown and have to find ways to deal with with whatever feelings you you felt after after that and i'm and i do know that everyone was upset and distraught and that can last for weeks maybe sometimes with some people not so long with others and and you know it's about how how you adapt and how you become better i suppose you know you've got to look at it in 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 a positive light and and see how you can become better at dealing with things like that um physically and mentally and and having a new focus of the new season and those experiences are great and you can look back on them and and take lessons from them or take memories from them and whatever you want to take it from and you know now the focus is to get to another major uh well to the arguably the biggest competition in the world which is next year and, and we've got a massive chance and opportunity to do that now and make more memories and more lessons for us next next year have, have you done anything personally to help you yourself bounce back yeah you know I, I've, I've not watched the game at all mm. for, for is that one. part of the process for yeah you? definitely is yeah you know I've got a lot of memories that, that stick in, in my head and, and I don't want to tarnish them and or, or change those when I finish definitely I'll watch it back um, or when I feel feel ready I suppose it sometimes can be one of those but it was uh, I don't know I think it's maybe my coping mechanism I want to take all the happy memories from that I don't want to see them score or see them celebrate I couldn't watch them them celebrate at the end I stood there um, respectfully I think that was what that was the right thing to do but I, I physically couldn't bring myself to do it and you know they're they're all coping mechanisms that other players might might, might have different things but um yeah i think for me it's the whole joy of it and 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 being proud of myself and and my, all my teammates and the nation you know how, how the nation got behind us was incredible so to see support like that and and have memories of of seeing that will uh, will last forever and i don't want to change any of that <laughs> yeah well i want it to be as positive for you as possible yeah, as well no, I'm sure, thanks. I'm sure everyone listening feels the same way yeah. i do want to ask you about your central defensive partner for the country harry Maguire, who you're, you're close to you had that big cuddle at the end of the manchester derby last year of course as well yeah do you guys <clears throat> speak when you're at your respective clubs have you spoken to him this season about the, the bad patch of form that he's having to give him support to maybe encourage him we, we spoke generally not about football I don't want to speak about football with him you know I, I, I uh, yeah I don't want to go there I think it's 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 difficult for me I know when to leave someone alone and, and, and talk about something else and, and Harry is an incredible person first and foremost and, and, and a strong character at that so I have no doubt that he'll come good for 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 Manchester United and and it's not it's not just him. I don't want to say that he's not playing well because I, I I actually think he's doing so many things right. But it just gets magnified and and sometimes taken out proportion. I'm not past the blame or anything. But as a character and as a person that I know, I, I do believe he'll will uh, 
be the incredible player that he is and be back to that very soon and he's that he's got that character and, and uh, mentality to get back to, to how he was and and, and um, yeah I, I believe he will Just finally on the, the, the last performance with England the draw with Hungary so many of you guys coming off the pitch was, was so dejected so disappointed with the, the level of performance many of you saying it sort of dropped below the standards that you guys had set out there Yeah why do you think the performance was like that and, and how do you think you can address it on Friday night? I don't know. I think sometimes you you uh, you have those days and that's not an excuse at all. I think you you do in uh, whether it be in training or whatever it might things just don't don't click. And I think on that day it just didn't didn't click. I think we did a lot of good things that night that 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 didn't come off but we also did a lot of poor things as well and 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 I think I said after the game that we we set a, such a high standard and we've repeatedly got to that standard so many times and when it drops after being at that kind of high bar it hurts for us as players because we know we've we've not done ourselves justice in in the respect of meeting our targets meeting our goals meeting our standard and to obviously not win and get three points at Wembley where we feel strong we feel at home yeah it was it was just a frust very frustrating night and uh, we were we were disappointed as players and it was great to see when we met up this time the, the training has been incredibly good the standard of training um, I don't know if it's subconscious thing from from last camp we left on a bad we want to start on a on a high and yeah I think I can only speak for for now and and we've definitely looked back over the last camp and the games that we've done and and, and took it into a bigger picture we've had an incredible year right the way through and, and that's something that we should be proud of John Stones there, Manchester City and England defender and just a really nice guy, but a really intriguing character and really open and transparent with his answers. I, I really enjoyed speaking to him. So that's a bit of bonus content for you on this episode of the Game Podcast. Remember, we'll be back with you on Tuesday after the end of the World Cup qualifiers. We'll be reacting to all of that. But remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, rate us, leave us a review, make sure you're subscribed. And of course, make sure you've got a subscription for the Times and the Sunday Times. You can get more of our award-winning journalism right now. And if you sign up today, you will get one month free. So go online, search the times.co.uk forward slash the game to get yourself started. We will see you, remember this, on Tuesday. <laughs>